Hi, and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're going to be talking about The Lady Traveler's Guide to Scoundrels and Other Gentlemen by Victoria Alexander. And this is the first book in a series about a traveling society run by old spinsters. Yes, so as you can guess, the, the well, lady... Well, they're not spinsters, they're like widows. They're widows. Mm -hmm. The Lady Traveler's Society. Mm -hmm. uh, so this book was written in 2017, so pretty recently. Oh, wow. Yes. There's already a bunch out, too. There are three out. Mm-hmm. Wow. So one a year, I guess, 17, 18, 19. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then a few little novellas. The one, the copy of this book I had had a, a novella at the end. Yes. Uh-huh. The same, same with mine. So I, we did read one, no, 0 0.5 in the Lady Traveler series. I mean, I skimmed it. it eh. I read the whole thing, but yeah, it, it was short, so I read it. Um, okay, so as usual, we're going to start with the book jacket. So this is what the book jacket for the Lady Traveler's Guide to Scoundrels and Other Gentlemen says. Really, it's too much to expect any normal man to behave like a state accountant in order to inherit the fortune he deserves to support the lifestyle of an earl. So when Derek Saunders' favorite elderly aunt and her ill-conceived and possibly fraudulent Lady Traveler Society loses one of their members, what's a man to do but step up to the challenge? Now he's escorting the world's most maddening woman to the world's most romantic city to find her missing relative. While India Prendergast only suspects his organization defrauds gullible travelers, she's certain a man with as scandalous a reputation as Derek Saunders cannot be trusted any farther than the distance around his very broad shoulders. As she struggles not to be distracted by his wicked smile and the allure of Paris, instead of finding a lost lady traveler, India just may lose her head, her luggage, and her heart. This, I mean, it's a very sweet book jacket, which I would say is reflected in the book. It's a very sweet book. Yes. I, this is not my first that I had read by Victoria Alexander. I had read a couple others. I cannot remember the names, which perhaps could tell you a little bit about how I feel mm -hmm. about this book. And it's not, it's not a bad book. It's not terrible. It's not poorly written. I just found it not super compelling. Yeah, I think it's tough because the elements here that are sort of referenced in the book jacket, the travel, the Paris, the like uptight woman and the roguish man, like all of that falls right in my wheelhouse. And it wasn't bad. I finished it in like a night. I plowed right through it. Mm -hmm. It just, I don't think I'm going to remember I read this six months from now. Exactly. That's really... It, which it seems much more damning than it is. I don't really have many negative things to say. Mm -hmm. I just don't have much to say. Yeah. Well, let's start as usual with our randomly generated number um, summary. Yeah. So I, I guess luckily for us, the number this time was forty-three. So if we don't have a lot to say off the cuff, at least we prepared a longer uh, um, intro summary. <laughs> so here's mine. A man who appreciates women must travel with a woman who only appreciates her own opinion. She's trying to make sure her aunt is safe. He is trying to make sure his own aunt isn't defrauding other women. What lessons will they actually learn? Oh. Pretty good, All right? right? I'm actually All really, right. I was like, okay, I'm gonna, gotta come up with something, so. Okay, so mine was, a woman named after a country hates to travel but falls in love with Paris and a notorious rake anyway. She thinks he's a crook, he thinks she's annoying. I guess this is hot. Trust comes up a lot and it's confusing. PG. Yeah. That brings up something very interesting. So the whole thing about trust, I, I thought was very interesting. So a lot of times, you know, in these novels, 
there's some kind of conflict about can they trust the other person. So it's a big thing. I'm not surprised that the big conflict was trust because that's, I mean, in any relationship, do you, I, I think it is true, like, do you trust that person? Right. And that's going to be as far as you get with them. Uh, I will say that the way it was handled, so the way it was wrapped up and the way the conflict was resolved was, was unique when it comes to trust and trustworthiness. Yeah, and I think part of what bothered me was actually the middle. So, as the book jacket implies, the Lady Travelers Society uh, isn't the most upstanding organization. Mm -hmm. And Derek is has taken it upon himself to organize his aunt's life and make sure she's all right and notices that it's not a very well-run group. Yes. And so India assumes he's the the mastermind is the word they use often, but really he's just trying to fix it. Yeah, he's trying to fix everything and make sure that his his aunt does not go to prison or ruin her reputation. So she, uh, India that is, assumes he's responsible, blames him outright, and he takes responsibility for it because he doesn't want the blame to fall on his elderly aunt. Now, after this, after he's like admitted to this crime he isn't actually committing, and tells her he's not sure he's gonna stop committing fraud. She that they get in this big fight about whether or not she trusts him because she says she still doesn't. Yeah. When she in her heart knows she does. And I'm like, but you think he's actively a criminal. Yeah. Like the fact that you somewhat distrust him is not surprising or wrong yeah. or you you actually he has admitted to a crime. Yes. And that said, so he's admitted to a crime that he's not committing. But what he is doing is lying to her about a ton of other stuff. Yes. So he's lying to her about what he's actually doing to find her aunt. It's he, her cousin. Excuse me, her cousin. Yeah. So, so he's, he's lying to her about why they are where they are, why they are doing what they're doing, what his strategy is. What he did with her luggage. Yeah. So, I mean, he is lying about a lot of other stuff. Um, a ton of other stuff. So he admits to something he didn't do. He actually did do a lot of other stuff. I thought that the conflict at the end was going to be she finds out that he did all this other stuff. Right. Um, and she she does, but she doesn't blame him for that. Well, and she like never finds out he hired a detective or any of that at all. Yeah. So he doesn't come clean about a lot of stuff. No. And then it turns... So she gets all upset because he 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 knows what her cousin is doing, but he won't tell her. And he says, you need to find out on your own. And that's what she got upset about? I don't know. It was... It, it, it just... I get what you are saying, that a lot of these romance novels trust in like their ability to trust one another and, and working together toward like a, an end goal and understanding that they're on the same team ends up being a part of the conflict. I thought it was a really thin conflict here because oh. distrust is so inherent. Yes. And yet they act like it's not. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I thought it was... The way it was handled was very strange in my opinion. Agreed. And that's why I stuck it in my quick little summary because yeah. I was like, this makes no yeah. sense. No, of course. So that's, I guess one romantic trope is like the whole trustworthiness. Like, can I trust you? Blah, blah, yeah. Blah. A lot of times one of the parties in the relationship is keeping something from the other and that ends up being the conflict. So right. that's pretty common in these novels. So that's one. But what else? So she's super uptight at the beginning, right? And not only is she just uptight in her mannerisms, she's also uptight in her dress. So she wears, she's very buttoned up. She, her, it's, you know, her hair is scraped back and very tight, all these things. And of course she gets sort of a makeover in the book. Say, the makeover montage as a trope yes. is 
really present in yeah, this book. Exactly. So so that happens. So that trope happens. Um, she's just it, it's talk about you don't know you're beautiful. Yeah. The whole point is she's like crazy hot but super dowdy. Yeah. And because she dresses in ill-fitting, ill-colored clothing and wears these severe hairstyles that most men don't notice she's like a bombshell. I guess, yeah. And then it turns out she's a bombshell. Yeah. That said, I did, I actually really, really liked I really liked his character a lot in this book. Yeah. Not his actions necessarily. Okay. And I guess this is the difference between show, don't tell, and like what we were shown didn't necessarily line up with what we were told. But I really did like, so for example, at the beginning it says like Derek is a man who likes women. Mm -hmm. And by that it doesn't mean he likes seducing women or he likes looking at women. But in general he just can see women for who they are. Yes. Which I really liked. And so it made sense for him to fall in love with her in that way. In that he could see below the surface. Right. You know? Yeah, but the fact that she started dressing like a hottie also helped. Well, yes, but he started falling in love with her when, he was dressed, when she was dressing in these horrible clothes. True. True, true. So, okay, so not only is there a makeover, there's also a, like, anti-makeover. So she's wearing, so her luggage gets lost. Does it actually get lost? No, because he sends it to Prague. He goes to Prague. Um, and he does it so that they can stay longer in Paris. He wants to, basically he wants to keep her in Paris um, so that he, so that the private detective he's hired has more time to find her cousin. Right. So basically he's like, I'm not actually going to, we're not actually going to find the cousin. Like he doesn't expect to go and con do, complete an investigation and find the cousin. Mm -hmm. He's going to pay someone, a professional to do it, which was a good idea because yep. it works. Uh, so that part didn't bug me. Um, so loses the luggage to keep her longer in Paris and then the people they're traveling with the chaperones that they're traveling with the woman gives her or lends her her clothes but then this woman has like the most atrocious taste yes in clothing and I quite enjoyed like the descriptions of what she was wearing like it was bad it was really bad and then ha like garish oh it's it terrible and I, I i did kind of like how so instead of just her going from daddy to beautiful there was this middle section where she's she had it, it was sort of a breaking down of her defenses yeah you know so she was like you know what like she's very uncomfortable going out in these clothes but she does it for her for her aunt or for her excuse me for her cousin but she you know yeah and it, it's it did make her view life differently and and clothes I think in this book were used very much to parallel her personal transformation so Meg alluded to this for pretty sure. well in her summary India is exacting and in control of every situation in her life super opinionated super demanding and it takes Paris and the situation she's encountered to make her realize the degree to which people are accommodating her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how mean she can be. Yeah. And so I thought uh, the clothes and sort of the, the gradual progression of her hair getting looser and her clothes getting less dowdy but still unstained to actually elegant was reflective of that internal transformation as well. Yeah. And then also the fact that... so the person who does make her over and goes on the shopping spree with her is Derek's mother mm -hmm. who is extremely fashionable and could be and at first 
Um, India thinks that she's extremely frivolous and just ridiculous, unintelligent, whatever. But she comes to appreciate this other person who she would have completely dismissed right. before. So, and that's something I think it does sort of turn a trope on its head. Mm-hmm. And usually it's the man who has to learn a lesson and change in these books. Yeah. And here it really was not. Like Derek really didn't no, he's learn on, a like, lesson. He's on a road to reform prior to the beginning of the book. Right. And sort of just stays on it. Yeah, he's, he's already decided to reform himself. Not because of her or for her. Right. Um, and she is the one who has to realize that wait a minute, maybe my behavior is not what it should be. Right. And so I did appreciate that. I kind of enjoyed that. Yeah, I think that's definitely, like you said, turning a trope on its head a little bit. Um, One of the things I really noticed about this book is they were both so defined by their parents, Mm. which I think happens a lot in romance novels. So her parents were traveling missionaries. Yeah. And so she is super rigid and stuck in her ways and doesn't want to leave because her parents died while traveling. Um, And he is trying to become the Earl in the mold of his father who died when he was young. Right. So both of their parents, even though they have one surviving parent between them, the three dead ones are clearly influencing their children's actions Yeah. to this day. Yeah. So I mentioned his mother. I, I really liked her as a character. Mm-hmm. I liked that she was presented as, as a, an, an admirable character because a lot of times in these books and in others, femininity is really seen as something you don't want right or or not don't want but I guess anti-feminist you know the more feminine someone is maybe the less independent they are and that was not the case for her like she was extreme like she really loved dressing up and she really loved being a mother and she loved being maternal but she also was very independent and had her own opinions yep so I think maybe was a good example for India. Mm-hmm. So I I do think the characters were good and I could see the transformation. Like I wasn't surprised by the transformation. I thought that was well done. Right. Most of the the, the sequence of events felt rather organic mm-hmm. outside of the main mystery. Okay. That said, this book is really long. It's really long yeah. for what you get. Right? So what what we're telling you about, you know, they go to Paris, they are trying to find the cousin, they're trying to do this, they're trying to do that. Like, it's not like two days go by and then this happens. Like, every single day is described and you go through searching and you eat lunch with them and then you get back in the carriage with them and then you go to the Eiffel Tower with them. And it was long. Yeah. It was like 400 pages long. So it's a long book. Yeah. And this sort of gets into point two. It's like a sexless book almost. Yeah, there's there one sex scene and two kisses. Yeah. Yeah. And one of them is, oh, talk about a trope, kissing to shut her up. Oh yeah. And the other one, or it might even be the same kiss, but it's a public kiss in on the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. No, that's not the kissing to shut her up. The kissing to shut her up is the one right the before t- they actually have sex. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yep. So the first kiss is is public, which I also was, I don't want to say that it, I disliked it, but I was, I found it implausible. Especially because she initiates it. Yes. So a lot of things were implausible about it. And then they had a fight afterwards, of course, <clears throat> which if you've listened to any of our previous podcasts, you will know Elaine and I don't love. Yep. Um, yeah, and you again, you will also know if you listen to our intro or any of our other podcasts, 
we are not reading these books for like a tiny little PG-13 sex scene, you know? Like I want to feel the actual chemistry and the connection between the characters and there wasn't much of that there. No, not at all. And even I felt like while I understood intellectually, (laughs) it's a phrase we (laughs) both use too much, that they were well suited, Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily buy their bond yeah I think and some of that comes from they're both they talk a lot about wanting to kiss each each other and how interesting it is that they want to kiss each other but there's none of that like all-consuming like like, staring at the lips and like that's all you can think about and so they're like hmm I think I would be interested in maybe kissing this person right and then maybe you see like and his eyes move to her mouth and then back to her eyes and it's like give me a little more more. Um, and the sex scene when it does happen is short it's short. I, I like the setup for it. Yes. I really liked it. Um, so she she decides, so she's decided that they're, he's already asked her to marry him. No. He's, if he hasn't asked, he's indicated that he's very interested in marrying yes. her. So they, he's been courting her. Like, and he, she knows that he has been courting yes. her. So this is not, it doesn't come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. But she just, she goes, she's like, this is what I want to do. And she goes to his room in the middle of the night. And she's like, okay, like, take me, you know? <laughs> and it's, it was, I really liked that. And he tries to resist mm-hmm. and can't. And yet somehow, I think it took me longer to tell you this than it was actually described on the page. Yeah, it t- took a while. But I, I liked her, I liked her agency in it. Yeah, and I think the other trope that sort of ties a little bit into the anti-sexiness. So we've talked before about how like guys and girls can't be friends, mm-hmm. and the other suitor either needs to be like a bad guy or self-sacrificing. In this case, you have the guy she's worked for for eight years and never had any romantic feelings or indication from shows up in Paris demanding her hand, basically, mm-hmm. and he interrupts what was almost a kiss yeah. during one of their courtship sequences, and it just ended up feeling like he got more attention than their relationship did, especially, like, toward the end of the book, which felt very strange. And I I didn't dislike the subplot. Like, it didn't bother me that he showed up and did that because I think it... I actually think it was quite plausible. Yeah. He he didn't think anyone would ever marry her. So, basically, he's like, what's the point in marrying her? She'll just be my secretary forever and run my life for me. Like, he's very much the man who needs a woman to run his life yeah he's a scholar he's never published his book in eight years the thing that I found difficult was the he talked about how he knew how hot she was and was glad she dressed dowdy so no one else would see it I mean that's what he said all right that's what I'm just saying I could totally see I can totally see this man yes existing like this man exists in the world he is out there I have met him. Fair enough. You know, so like that, I was like, yeah. And he is not presented as like a legitimate rival for her hand. Like there's no jealousy there. Like it's really like he is 100% presented as he is a jerk. Yes. Which he is a jerk, dear listener. He is a jerk. And I really liked the way he was presented. I did enjoy that. He's he's a well-written character and a believable character. I think my frustration was the part of the book where I really just wanted to read about them hooking up all the time. Instead, I was reading about his man feelings. Yeah. No, a hundred... Yes, yes, yes. I agree with this. 100%. This is true. Like, I don't mind that he was in there. I mind where he was inserted. Yes. In, in, in the book. He literally shows up right as the main characters are getting together. Yeah. And then becomes the driving force of the plot from that point to the end of the book. Yeah. And... 
I just would have liked a little bit more action. Yeah. That's yeah. really... No, it's... I agree. Like, it's a very cute book. It's not poorly written. But, I mean, they don't kiss until halfway through. Yeah. And then it's another... I read it on Kindle. It's so another 30% until they actually have sex. Yeah. And, and then nothing that's really it. happens in between. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And the kiss isn't even that hot. No, it's not. It's like... It's, it's written of, very intellectually. Yeah, it's like one of those, they kissed and she had never felt this way before. And wow, isn't this interesting that she could feel this way and be taken out of the world? I and mean, then, yeah, but like... And then he's like, and I can do better than that and grabs her again. And even then, like, there's no... This is going to sound... I don't know how better... There's very little anatomy. Yeah, right? Yeah, it's true. And I don't just mean in the sex scenes. I mean, like, like there was no real description of what their mouths were doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they, it was, they kissed. It was, it's, it was like one of those passionate kisses from a, from a um, romantic comedy in the 1930s. Yes. You know? Like, uh, they push their faces together. And maybe they, like, shake their head back and forth a little. And that's it. Yep. So, so yeah, no, that's... That is what it is, yes. It's, it wasn't just, like, it wasn't even euphemistic. It's, like, straight up only talking about, wow, I've never felt this way before yeah. when my lips met his. And no, like, he grabbed her with passion and his yeah. hands on her waist and, like, none of that. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know what his hands were doing. Literally, like, at any point in this book, I don't know what his hands <laughs> were doing. And in a romance <laughs> novel, that is a problem. It could definitely I be a problem. I want to be real aware of his hands. I just want to let you know. There was no beef in this book. Damn it, Meg. <laughs> it's true, though. Like, there's no beef. There's no euphemistic beef. There's no... It's not there. <laughs> it's not there. I'm like... I'm sitting with my head in my hands. I don't even know what to say to this. <laughs> she touches his erection at one point. It's yeah, not described as such, mind you. Right, right, it's right. It's described as the front of his trousers. Right, right. That's, that's, that's what we're talking about here. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I'd rather have front of trousers than beef, but... I mean, are you sure? No. So if Lane's not sure whether she would prefer beef or front of trousers, you know that something went wrong in the sex scene. As in, there's just not enough of it. Yeah. And, like, nothing in this book is offensive or bad or there's no rape or incest or... There's not even any, like... So we said there's no sexual violence. There's no violence at all. The only time where it possibly could have gotten violent it they it gets talked down yeah which I, I actually quite liked like that didn't bother me it doesn't bother me at all but it also didn't captivate me yeah and I everything about this book should have been right up my alley Paris traveling like stayed women thrusting out of their shells like yeah. charming rakes yeah all I'm, of this is what I look for in a romance novel and the title's amazing it's a great title I mean the lady traveler's guide to scoundrels and other gentlemen it's a great title yeah but and you know we were talking about this earlier and I, I think maybe we just had too high expectations for it yeah because the book jacket is great and the title is great and you said earlier damning with faint praise exactly and that's we are a little bit. But, you know, I wouldn't not recommend the book, so I definitely think you could give it a try. If you are especially looking for something where there's a lot of the love story that takes place in conversations, where you see more of the relationship building outside of the bedroom than inside of the bedroom. And if you aren't really into explicit romance novels, like, definitely give this a shot. It's it's a good time. Yeah, I don't regret having read it. No, I'm just going to forget that I did. Exactly. So that was our review of The Lady Traveler's Guide to Scoundrels and Other Gentlemen by Victoria Alexander. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.